The psalmist says, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. God invites you today to come and worship him. And so whether you're a member of our fellowship at Kirkpatrick, or you've just stumbled across this video online, you are very welcome to worship with us. I hope that you find this service meaningful and that it will be a blessing and an encouragement to you. This is an exciting day for us at Kirkpatrick because as many of you are watching this service at home, there's a small group of us actually gathered together at our building on Ballyhackamore. But if you're not with us at the building, I don't want you to feel left out. One of the things we've discovered over these past months is something that we already knew, but perhaps didn't fully appreciate. That we don't need to be gathered together to worship God. We don't need to be physically present with each other to enjoy fellowship. Christ is with us wherever we are. Our first song today is a song that, in my experience, we often sing before communion. It helps us to remember this truth, that Christ is present with us as we worship by his Spirit. You'll know it at Kirkpatrick, I'm sure. Be still, for the presence of the Lord is moving in this place. We'll be singing that together shortly. But I want, first of all, for us to pray together as we remind ourselves of this truth. That whatever's going on around us at the moment, whether we're in the, the quiet of our sanctuary in our church building, or whether you're in the busyness of home, maybe with children playing in the background, God is with you there. Let's worship him now as we pray. Let's pray together. Gracious God, over these months we've been reminded again and again that our help comes from you, the maker of heaven and earth. And so we give you praise and thanks today that you continue to be our help in times of trouble, the only one in whom we can fully depend. We thank you too for the peace that you give us, a peace that transcends our human understanding. And yet, Lord, as life begins to return to more like the way things were, we are conscious of how easily we can forget the peace that comes from knowing you. As schools, businesses and places of work start to get busy again, we can so easily lose sight of you. We can become restless, anxious, agitated by the pressures of life. We confess that this has been the experience for some of us this week. And so, Lord, in this time of worship, we ask that you help us to give this time to you. Still our minds, we pray. Quieten our hearts as we worship you. Forgive us if we've not given you our, your rightful place in our lives this past week. 
and help us now to reorientate, to reorientate ourselves towards you with the help of your spirit. We ask this in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you know any young children, I'm pretty sure you'll be familiar with the Frozen films. One of the highlights of lockdown in our house was getting to watch Frozen 2 on our home screens. There's a character in that film called Olaf, and as the world seems to be becoming rather strange around him, he sings a song that says, This will all make sense when I'm older. Well, if only that were true. You and I know that as we get older, very often things seem to make less sense. The world becomes more and more complicated. And it strikes me that when it comes to the Christian life, the Bible teaches us that, well, Olaf's not quite right. It's not so much about getting older as about getting younger. You must be born again, says Jesus. To enter the kingdom of heaven, you need to become like these little children. And that's because children know something that we as adults can so easily forget. They know what it means to trust. This is a theme that's picked up in our psalm for today, Psalm 131. It's a short psalm, but as we read it, pay close attention to how the psalmist calls us to think of God is our, as our parent, the one in whom we are to put our trust. Psalm 131. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. We're coming towards the end of our summer series on the Songs of Ascent, and rather than taking 15 weeks uh, to explore each of the 15 Psalms, uh, we're going to pick up the pace a little bit here at the end so that we can wrap up this series. Uh, last week, Monty uh, guided us through a couple of the Psalms, number 129 and 130, and I'm going to look at number 131 and 132 just now. I'm not planning to be even-handed with these two psalms this morning. I'm going to be much shorter in my focus on Psalm 132 uh, to allow a bit more time to look in depth at Psalm 131. So let's have a quick look at Psalm 132. You might want to have it open in front of you just now. It's a historical psalm, and that is it has its basis in the history of God's people Israel. Uh, it's a prayer asking God to remember David 
we're reminded in the opening five verses of, of King David's desire to build a house for or a temple for God. He wanted to create a place for God's presence on earth. If you know the story, uh, it's not recorded here in the psalm, but if you know it, you'll know that God said no and that the job of building a temple would fall instead to David's son, Solomon. David, I don't want you to build a house for me, but I'm going to build a house for you. God's promise to David wasn't of a physical building, uh, but rather of a family or of a dynasty. Uh, we're remembered uh, of the promise in verses 11 and 12, if you have a look there. One of your own descendants I will place on your throne. Their sons shall sit on your throne forever and ever. There's a tension that drives this psalm. God's promise to David appears to be dependent or conditional on his sons remaining faithful to God. The history of Israel shows that they weren't. Uh, there is a failure of Israel's kings and its people repeatedly to be faithful to God. With that backdrop, we can come now to the heart of the psalm, a prayer, a plea to God in verse 10. For the sake of David, your servant, do not reject your anointed one. Lord, you've promised to go with us. You've promised to be our God. Now don't break your promise. It's a psalm that begs a question, really. Did God hear this plea? Did he keep his promise? Did he put a king forever on the throne of David? Uh, we know from our vantage point in history that he did. He kept his promise in a way that David and ancient Israel could never have imagined. He sent his own son, Jesus. His own son, and at the same time, the son of David. He was the eternal king who God's people had always been waiting for. He didn't build a temple, not with bricks and mortar. He did something much, much better. He makes us, God's people, to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. He makes us to be the home of God's presence on earth. Psalm 132 reminds us of God's faithfulness to his promises. He doesn't just keep his promises. He exceeds them in ways that we can't even imagine. Folks, seeing what God has done in the past to keep his promise is something that gives us great confidence for the present and the future. Great stuff here in Psalm 132. Just now I'm going to bring us into Psalm 131, but I want to start by telling you that I'm not much of a gardener. I'm a hedges and lawns kind of a guy. Claire, my wife, looks after pretty much everything else. Even without being much into gardening, I'm slowly beginning to understand one of the great mysteries of gardening. Pruning. First time I saw it, I could hardly believe my eyes. It looked to me like a, an annual act of vandalism or mutilation. I couldn't understand why these otherwise nice and reasonable people were taking out scissors 
and destroying perfectly healthy plants. Since then, I've come to understand it a little bit better. I've seen what happens if you let a plant go unpruned for several years. Plant gets larger and larger. It reaches further and further. In many ways, it's becoming more and more impressive. To anyone who doesn't know any better, it looks great. But then in the spring and early summer, just when you're expecting an explosion of blossom, you're disappointed. The blossoms are small and scrawny. And of course, there's a reason for this. The plant has overextended. Its branches have grown too far from its roots. The plant can't grow a decent blossom. It needs a good pruning. Psalm 131 is a pruning kind of a psalm. It serves the same purpose for a, a person of faith as pruning does or, or secateurs do for a gardener. It, it prunes away the stuff in our lives that looks impressive to those who don't know any better. And it reduces the distance between our hearts and our roots in God. Two things are pruned away in this psalm. First of all, unruly ambition, and then secondly, infantile dependency. This psalm is the prayer of a person who doesn't want, on the one hand, to be too big for their boots, or on the other hand, to, to still be tied in their mother's apron strings. So let's think first of all about the unruly ambition. The psalmist says he has to cut it out of his life. Look at verse 1. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. These psalms, are, these words are difficult to take on board. It's not that we don't understand them. Their meaning's plain enough. It's just that they go so much against the, the pervasive thinking in our culture. Living in the Western world at the moment, at the start of the third millennium, unchecked ambition is the air that we breathe. We're surrounded by a way of life where betterment is always understood in terms of more. The way to a better life is to get more wealth and more power so that we can have more stuff and maybe even become more famous. Celebrity is the goal of the culture. That's why we're obsessed with TV and internet celebrities. Everybody wants more. Everybody wants to be on top, no matter what we're on top of. Of course, that's nothing new. That's the sin of Adam in the garden. That's what got Satan kicked out of heaven. Unchecked ambition isn't new. But what is new is the level of acceptance that it's found in our culture today. The story of Dr. Faustus has served many generations as a warning against unruly ambition. John Faustus, he sold his soul to the devil in exchange for unlimited knowledge and power. For 24 years, he was allowed to act in a godlike way, living without limits, being in control instead of having responsibilities, exercising power instead of practicing love. But at the end of the 24 years, there came damnation. 
For generations, this story has been told and retold by poets, playwrights, novelists as a warning. Don't abandon the beautiful position that you have as a person created in the image of God. Don't attempt the madness of trying to become a God yourself. The psalmist here has recognized that it's wrong to play with God. In verse 1 he's saying, I will not try to run my own life for the lives of others. That's God's business. I won't pretend to create meaning in the universe. God's already done that. I, I won't strut around noisily, expecting to be treated as the center of my home, my workplace, my church. Instead, I'll try to work out where I fit and what work it is that God has given me. As always, it's Jesus, the Word made flesh. He shows us God's Word in skin and bones. He shows us what the psalmist is talking about here, a life lived without an inkling of pride. Paul draws our attention to this wonderful aspect of Jesus' character in Philippians chapter 2. He reminds us how Jesus made himself nothing. How he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul, the, the brilliant pastor that he is, he draws our attention to the humility of Jesus so that he can speak to us about ourselves. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Learn, Paul says. To say with Jesus Christ and with our psalmist, my heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Just now we're going to pause and reflect a little bit further on Psalm 131 as we watch a performance video from the Sons of Korah. So if we're not to be arrogant and proud, uh, as we saw in verse 1 of our psalm, what kind of people are we to be? Is a Christian a timid, cringing, insecure kind of a person? Is that what God wants for us? Well, not quite. Look at verse 2. But I've stilled and quietened my soul like a winged child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. In verse 1, the psalmist has set aside unruly ambition. Here in verse 2, it's infantile dependency that's being pruned from his life. Reading this stuff about weaning children took me back a number of years to the time when our kids were young. I'm thinking of a particular stage uh, when my two daughters ha had reached certain points in their development. I'm thinking particularly of how they interacted with their mother. Picture the scene. Sophie is two years old. She loves asking her mother questions. She loves joining Claire in whatever Claire's doing. If Claire's using the, the Hoover, then she wants to go along and use the Hoover too. If Claire's dusting or wiping, she wants a, a, a dusting cloth and wants to join in. Sophie just loves being with her mum. 
and learning from her. Sometimes she'll sidle up beside Claire, take her by the hand and say, come and sit with me and read me a story. Sophie, at the age of two, loves just being with her mum. At the very same time, my youngest daughter, Ruby, is just a few weeks old and she has a very different relationship with her mother. As far as Ruby's concerned, Claire is just a dinner ticket. Claire provides her with breakfast, lunch and dinner and lots of snacks in between. If Claire doesn't give her what she wants, as soon as she wants it, she shouts the house down. Ruby's into her mum every bit as much as Sophie, but only for what she can get from her. I tell you about that stage in my daughter's development as a way of illustrating the point that the psalmist has made here in verse 2. He says that the mature Christian isn't like a newborn baby, shouting the house down until it gets what it wants, gets access to its mother's breast. No, a mature Christian is like a weaned child that rests quietly at its mother's side, happy just to be with mother. Folks, I, I don't know if you've ever taken the opportunity to think about this, but our psalmist is making the point that a mature Christian's relationship with God isn't simply about getting what we can out of him. I don't just come to God to get saved and to get a eternal life, important those, those, those are. I don't stick with God to ensure that I stay healthy and my kids get good grades. No. Over time, I learned to love God for who he is, not just what he gives. The center of gravity in my life changes. Uh, I'm no longer besotted with myself, but rather I've learned to rest in God. Folks, that transition from a, a sucking infant to a weaned child, from a, a squalling baby to a quiet son or daughter, it's, it's not smooth. It's stormy and it's noisy. Eugene Peterson says rightly, it's no easy thing to quieten yourself. Sooner may a person calm the sea or rule the wind or tame a tiger than quieten oneself. It is a pitched battle. I've seen it with our children, and I've seen it in my own life. Deny a baby its comforts, and they fly into a rage or sink into a sulk. I find it much easier to follow Jesus when he's giving me what I want than when he's withdrawing his comforts from me and weaning me from his gifts so that I can come closer to him, the giver. We said a moment ago, talking about pride in verse 1, that Jesus is the Word made flesh in this regard. Well, he's, he's the same too in the regard to verse 2 here. He, he's the one who shows us what it means to, to still and quieten our soul like a weaned child before his heavenly Father. Jesus was weaned from whatever other food might be on offer. He was able to say, John chapter 4, My food 
is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus didn't mind missing lunch occasionally. So long as he was able to do what the Father wanted him to do, he was happy. Jesus stilled and quietened his soul, even in the most difficult circumstances. We saw that a few months ago uh, in our series in Mark's Gospel, when we saw Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. At that last night, as he recoiled from the horrors of the cross, in the end he submitted his will to the will of the Father. He said, not my will, but yours be done. Folks, I don't know if this talk of being weaned is making any sense to you. Maybe it's helping you understand your experience with God these days. Maybe you've been wondering why you no longer feel the way you did when you first became a Christian. Uh, you're wondering whether that means that you are no longer a Christian. Has God abandoned me? Have I done something terribly wrong? The answer is no. God hasn't abandoned you and you haven't done anything terribly wrong. You're being weaned. The apron strings are being cut. God is giving you less and less of his gifts to draw you closer and closer to him, the giver. You see, God's best gift to you is God himself. He doesn't want you to miss out and he's careful therefore not to spoil you. He loves you far too much for that. Let's finish for this morning. In Psalm 131, we've learned that we need to prule away unruly ambition on the one hand and to recover Christian humility. We need to prune away infantile dependency on the other and grow up in God. How can we do that? Well, the last line of the psalm shows us the way to this humble and secure life. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. Hope in the Lord. Let God be God. Don't try to be God yourself. Don't try to cling to God, looking only for what you can get out of him. Let God be God and become what you already are, a child of God. Grow in him. Grow in likeness to his son, Jesus. We can set aside pride because he's gone before us and shown us a life of perfect humility. We can quieten our souls because he did, even in the darkest hour, and proved his father faithful. Let's humble ourselves before God. And let's long to grow in him. Let's live the lives that we were created Let's sing just now a song that allows us to declare that we've placed our hope in God. My hope is in you alone. Faithful one, so unchanging.
We're coming towards the end of our summer series on the Songs of Ascent, and rather than taking 15 weeks uh, to explore each of the 15 Psalms, uh, we're going to pick up the pace a little bit here at the end so that we can wrap up this series. Uh, last week, Monty uh, guided us through a couple of the Psalms, number 129 and 130, and I'm going to look at number 131 and 132 just now. I'm not planning to be even-handed with these two psalms this morning. I'm going to be much shorter in my focus on Psalm 132 uh, to allow a bit more time to look in depth at Psalm 131. So let's have a quick look at Psalm 132. You might want to have it open in front of you just now. It's a historical psalm, and that is it has its basis in the history of God's people Israel. Uh, it's a prayer asking God to remember David. Uh, we're reminded in the opening five verses of, of King David's desire to build a house for or a temple for God. He wanted to create a place for God's presence on earth. If you know the story, uh, it's not recorded here in the psalm, but if you know it, you'll know that God said no and that the job of building a temple would fall instead to David's son, Solomon. David I don't want you to build a house for me, but I'm going to build a house for you. God's promise to David wasn't of a physical building, uh, but rather of a family or of a dynasty. Uh, we're remembered uh, of the promise in verses 11 and 12. If you have a look there, one of your own descendants I will place on your throne. Their sons shall sit on your throne forever and ever. There's a tension that drives this psalm. God's promise to David appears to be dependent or conditional on his sons remaining faithful to God. The history of Israel shows that they weren't. Uh, there is a failure of Israel's kings and its people repeatedly to be faithful to God. With that backdrop, we can come now to the heart of the psalm, a prayer a plea to God in verse 10. For the sake of David, your servant, do not reject your anointed one. Lord, you've promised to go with us. You've promised to be our God. Now don't break your promise. It's a psalm that begs a question, really. Did God hear this plea? Did he keep his promise? Did he put a king forever on the throne of David? Uh, we know from our vantage point in history that he did. He kept his promise in a way that David and ancient Israel could never have imagined. He sent his own son, Jesus. His own son and at the same time, the son of David. He was the eternal king God's people had always been waiting for. He didn't build a temple, not with bricks and mortar. He did something much, much better. He makes us, God's people, to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. He makes us to be the home of God's presence on earth. Psalm 132 reminds us of God's faithfulness to his promises. He doesn't just keep his promises. 
He exceeds them in ways that we can't even imagine. Folks, seeing what God has done in the past to keep his promise is something that gives us great confidence for the present and the future. Great stuff here in Psalm 132. Just now I'm going to bring us into Psalm 131, but I want to start by telling you that I'm not much of a gardener. I'm a hedges and lawns kind of a guy. Claire, my wife, looks after pretty much everything else. Even without being much into gardening, I'm slowly beginning to understand one of the great mysteries of gardening. Pruning. First time I saw it, I could hardly believe my eyes. It looked to me like a, an annual act of vandalism or mutilation. I couldn't understand why these otherwise nice and reasonable people were taking out scissors and destroying perfectly healthy plants. Since then, I've come to understand it a little bit better. I've seen what happens if you let a plant go unpruned for several years. Plant gets larger and larger. It reaches further and further. In many ways, it's becoming more and more impressive. To anyone who doesn't know any better, it looks great. But then in the spring and early summer, just when you're expecting an explosion of blossom, you're disappointed. The blossoms are small and scrawny. And of course, there's a reason for this. The plant has overextended. Its branches have grown too far from its roots. The plant can't grow a decent blossom. It needs a good pruning. Psalm 131 is a pruning kind of a psalm. It serves the same purpose for a person of faith as pruning does or, or secateurs do for a gardener. It, it prunes away the stuff in our lives that looks impressive to those who don't know any better. And it reduces the distance between our hearts and our roots in God. Two things are pruned away in this psalm. First of all, unruly ambition. And then secondly, infantile dependency. This psalm is the prayer of a person who doesn't want, on the one hand, to be too big for their boots. Or, on the other hand, to, to still be tied in their mother's apron strings. So let's think first of all about the unruly ambition. The psalmist says he has to cut it out of his life. Look at verse 1. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. These psalms, are, these words are difficult to take on board. It's not that we don't understand them. Their meaning's plain enough. It's just that they go so much against the, the pervasive thinking in our culture. Living in the Western world at the moment, at the start of the third millennium, unchecked ambition is the air that we breathe. We're surrounded by a way of life where betterment is always understood in terms of more. The way to a better life is to get more wealth and more power so that we can have more stuff and maybe even become more famous. Celebrity is the goal of the culture. That's why we're obsessed with TV and internet celebrities. Everybody wants more. 
everybody wants to be on top, no matter what we're on top of. Of course, that's nothing new. That's the sin of Adam in the garden. That's what got Satan kicked out of heaven. Unchecked ambition isn't new. But what is new is the level of acceptance that it's found in our culture today. The story of Dr. Faustus has served many generations as a warning against unruly ambition. John Faustus, he sold his soul to the devil in exchange for unlimited knowledge and power. For 24 years, he was allowed to act in a godlike way, living without limits, being in control instead of having responsibilities, exercising power instead of practicing love. But at the end of the 24 years, there came damnation. For generations, this story has been told and retold by poets, playwrights, novelists as a warning. Don't abandon the beautiful position that you have as a person created in the image of God. Don't attempt the madness of trying to become a God yourself. The psalmist here has recognized that it's wrong to play with God. In verse 1 he's saying, I will not try to run my own life for the lives of others. That's God's business. I would pretend to create meaning in the universe. God's already done that. I, I won't strut around noisily, expecting to be treated as the center of my home, my workplace, my church. Instead, I'll try to work out where I fit and what work it is that God has given me. As always, it's Jesus, the Word made flesh. He shows us God's Word in skin and bones. He shows us what the psalmist is talking about here, a life lived without an inkling of pride. Paul draws our attention to this wonderful aspect of Jesus' character in Philippians chapter 2. He reminds us how Jesus made himself nothing. How he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul, the, the brilliant pastor that he is, he draws our attention to the humility of Jesus so that he can speak to us about ourselves. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Learn, Paul says. To say with Jesus Christ and with our psalmist, my heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Just now we're going to pause and reflect a little bit further on Psalm 131 as we watch a performance video from the Sons of Korah. In our prayers for others today, we continue to focus on the education sector as we pray for all those young people and adults involved in the world of education at this difficult time. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you now with our prayers for others in what continues to be a very challenging time for us all. 
we are particularly mindful today of all those involved in education, in preschool, primary school, secondary and higher level education. Many staff and pupils are now back and adjusting to new routines and ways of working. Others are preparing to return in the days and weeks ahead. This morning we want to give you thanks for the gift of learning. You have created a world full of wonder and delight. You have given us the ability to investigate that world, your creation, to learn, to create, to build. Thank you that in school and at university, our young people have the opportunity to develop these God-given gifts. But we ask that you help us all to remember what they are for. That learning, like all things, is for your glory. That it is worthwhile for this very reason alone. And so in a culture that prioritises grades and league tables, that can value education only in terms of added value to the economy, may we not lose sight of its true worth, which is to glorify you in contributing to your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. In all their learning, may our young people discover their vocation. As someone else has put it, that place where their deepest gladness meets the world's deepest need. And Father, we pray for all the adults who work to help them discern that. For those in leadership in our schools and universities at this time, making difficult decisions and trying to maintain a safe and happy environment for all. For teachers on the front line, entrusted not just with teaching the curriculum, but with dealing with all the emotional and spiritual well-being of our young people. We pray most of all for those teachers connected to Kirkpatrick Memorial. Keep them safe at this time. Encourage them. Help them to remember that their vocation, what their vocation is, in the midst of a difficult circumstance. May they and all the young people in their care come to realise your unfailing love and abiding presence with your people. Father, we pray too for all those who work behind the scenes, for school bus drivers and canteen workers, for cleaners and caretakers, for administrators and teaching assistants. We thank you for them and for the work that they do. And we ask that you bless them as they continue to do this vital work that is needed to make education happen. And finally, Lord, we want to pray for all of those here in our church community involved in teaching ministry with young people. Lord, I still don't know exactly who this involves, but I'm aware that there are many who give their time to teach our young people about you. This morning we want to pray in particular for those involved in Sunday Club TV and ask that this new initiative will be a blessing to our children as they come to a knowledge of you. 
And we don't mean just head knowledge, Lord, but heart knowledge. As we seek to pass on our faith to the next generation and share with them the joy that comes in a life lived in obedience to you. We thank you that we can know this joy, this freedom, because of what Christ has done for us. In all that we do, may we seek to glorify him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Folks, let me just very quickly update you on a few things uh, going on in church life these days. I know that many of you watch these services on Sunday morning, around about 11 o'clock, as you've tried to keep uh, a rhythm to your week and trying to keep a, a place for gathered worship in your Sunday morning routine. If you have, then uh, you might be encouraged to know that while you've been watching, we have hosted our first face-to-face gathering in the church building for nearly six months. It's really something to celebrate. If you know anyone who wasn't able to make it along to this first gathering but would enjoy coming, please continue to encourage them uh, to consider coming and help them to sign up. You could either be in touch with uh, Mary Rose yourself on their behalf or maybe encourage them to give her a ring and uh, she'll record their planned attendance. Just a, a few other things to tell you about. It's been another first here today, our first full episode of Sunday Club TV. I want to thank Fiona and the team of folks who have been involved in that and helped put that together. We all appreciate that. In this week's email, you'll see mention of a good number of things, but just two or three to draw to your attention. Uh, One is an event for women. Uh, We mentioned this a couple of months ago. It's called Rooted And it's planned for the 3rd of October at 10 a.m. If you have a look in the resources from Church Suite, you'll see a a flyer for that. Uh, I just want to remind you about it at this stage, uh, 3rd of October, and uh, to tell you that booking will open soon on Church Suite. You'll notice if you read the email that our storehouse item for the month of September is cooking oil. And you'll see details about how to drop that off. Uh, Look out also for a bit of news an update about Duke of Edinburgh starting up again for this year in Kirkpatrick Memorial. We've been thinking today about how we want to live humbly before our God. Let's offer ourselves to him just now with one final song, King of Kings, Majesty. Well, we're now at the end of our service, but our time of fellowship doesn't have to end with this video. Can I encourage you instead to maybe pick up the phone, call somebody in the congregation, send them a text message, let them know that you're thinking of them. Or if you're in the church building, turn to the people beside you and say hello, safely of course. Let me finish now with a benediction that borrows from words that I alluded to from Philippians in my opening prayer. May the peace of God, which transcends all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of Jesus Christ, our Saviour. 
And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son and Holy Spirit remain with you now and forevermore. Amen.